As we move into verse 27, we're going to turn our attention to pure religion and faultless religion expressed through service and separation from the world. Now, we would badly misunderstand these verses were we to think that James is intending to summarize in the, here in these verses all that true worship of God should involve. Again, it's to be understood. James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things that he has mentioned is nothing. For he's not polemicizing against religious ritual per se, but against a ritual that goes no further than outward show and mere words. Specific and concrete actions are necessary. They, they are needed to demonstrate the reality of one's claim to have religion. Now, I know I'm reiterating some things that I've already said just in a different way because I'm attempting to lay a foundation for service and separation um, from the world. So let's dive deeper into our opening phrase of verse 27. But I want to offer to us a different translation than what we have already read from the NIV. This is a different translation. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, when we use this word pure, when James uses this word pure, is that which has no pollution. It's, there's no counterfeit. There's no abnormalities. I love in my studies, I came across one commentary that defined James's word pure to mean this, that which has in it no foreign admixture, not mixed with the inventions of man, nor with the corruption of the world and explicitly as something like self-deceit and hypocrisy. And then we get into the word, the word that is used, undefiled. <clears throat> and undefiled is the means of being pure. Now, there's two different words in the Greek that are used to call attention to what ought to be and that which ought not to be regarding religious service. And together, these terms hold up a standard of purity that complements the standard that is raised in verse 26. Pure and undefiled. Now, while also using these words, there is contrasting opposite behavior regarding religious service. So as we continue in this, we find the phrase before God the Father. Religion, however pure, places the believer before God. I love the Young's literal translation. Our pastor will use that from time to time. It's probably the most accurate word for word. It doesn't read well, but is very accurate word for word. The Young's literal translation actually uses the word with instead of before. Now, I find this particularly insightful because it breeds an even greater understanding and interpretation. It would read like this, religion pure and undefiled with the Father and with God is this. Excuse me, I read that wrong. Let me read it one more time. Religion pure and undefiled with the God and Father is this. And so it demands the identity of the one who has raised 
the standard. We are doing this with God the Father, and he is the one that sets the standard. So very quickly, let's recall the theological context shared in all of the previous verses. The theological context, and listen to me say this, God gives generously without finding fault. You remember this language that we read earlier in chapter one to those who ask in faith. God gives the crown of life to those who love him. Continuing, God is pure, neither tempted by evil nor tempted or nor tempting anyone to do evil. And all of this culminated in James's description of God as the father of the heavenly lights who does not change, who is the giver of every good gift and who has given us the gift of birth through the word of truth. And he gave this gift specifically with the intent that we might be a kind of first fruits. I'm continuing in our context. This father of the heavenly lights has thus become our father. Therefore, we should practice religion in a way that is pure and faultless in the eyes of this God who is our father. Not merely hearers of the word of God, but doers. Thus, church, we ought to envision our practice of religion as being before God our Father and with God our Father. With the glorious God and Father who has given us every good and perfect gift, including his own son to save us. And the result will be that which is pure and faultless specifically before God. As the NIV translates, religion that God our Father accepts. For there is a great deal, as you know, of pure and undefiled religion in the sight of man that is not pure and undefiled religion before God. So, regarding service which for the purpose of this teaching is our second expression of pure religion and faultless religion. James wrote to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now this charge was frequently mentioned in scripture as key components of a biblical lifestyle. Looking after widows and orphans picks up a frequent Old Testament refrain. The Lord commanded the people in Leviticus excuse me, in Exodus, he says, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. In Deuteronomy, the law specified that the people were to go out of their way to provide for the widow and the orphan. Isaiah, in a passage similar in many ways to these verses in James, announces that God will no longer recognize the worship his people offer him. Because of their rebellion, because of their corruption and sin, their worship had become meaningless. And God says to them in light of this, you can find it in your notes. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And in these actions, 
the people of Israel were to imitate God himself, who the psalmist would describe as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. See, one test of pure religion is the degree to which we extend aid to the helpless in our world. Let me say that again because I think we minimize so much so this part of pure religion. The degree to which we extend aid to the helpless in our world is a test of pure religion. Whether they be widows and orphans, immigrants trying to adjust to a new life, impoverished third world dwellers, the handicapped or the homeless, Jesus summarized all religion and commands in terms of total love for God and for our neighbor. And note the instruction to look after. You know, it's used elsewhere to express the all in which, the all with which one describes a visitation from God himself. I didn't say that very well, so let me say it one more time. It's used elsewhere. We find it in the book of Luke in chapter 1. We find it in chapter 7. But this expression is used elsewhere to describe the awe with which one has when they experience a visitation from God himself. It's also the same verb used by Matthew in Jesus' warning about the future separation of people for blessing and cursing. In Matthew chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, some will be welcomed into blessing because, in the words of Jesus, I was sick and you looked after me, while others will be sent into the eternal fire because, in the words of Jesus, I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Sobering church. Then there's the language that James uses in their distress. It refers literally to a pressing or a pressure or figuratively to an affliction or an oppression. Now, altogether, this is a biblical view, not just James' own thinking. Scripture says that God is committed to caring for the powerless, for the defenseless, including the poor, including the alien, including the fatherless, and including the widow. And since the needs of such people are on God's hearts, he expects the same things to be on our hearts. Further, Jesus himself so identified himself with the needy, with oppressed people, that when we care for one of his people in need, we do it unto him. So understand it this way. Any practice of Christianity that does not exhibit this concern in action is deceptive. For it misrepresents the truth about God's own heart. And it's worthless, for it has no value before God. Now, as we wrap this up, regarding separation. Don't get too excited. I say that word to wrap up our final point. Okay. Regarding separation, separation, 
which for the purpose of this teaching is our final expression of pure religion and faultless religion, James wrote, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, let me preface my decision on using the word separation, okay? This, the idea is not that the Christian retreats away from the world, for we are in the world, but not of it. Though in the world, we seek to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. I love what Spurgeon once said regarding this idea. He said, I would like to see a Christian not kept in a glass case away from trial and temptation, but yet covered with an invisible shield so that wherever he went, he would be guarded and protected from the evil influences that are in the world in almost every place. Now, I find it particularly notable that James is careful not to give the impression that religion pleasing to God consists simply in outward acts or in social action. The aforementioned examples that were given are certainly not James's attempt in saying that this is all that makes up pure and faultless religion. No, they are but two examples of the kind of acts needed. Guiding us through this last phrase, we dive into James' words, keeping oneself from. Perhaps the best translation of this Greek word is to refrain from. It is to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly. And it's not a passive requirement. It calls for much care. It calls for much concern, for dedication and attention on our part. While at the same time, praying and depending on God to keep us. James would say, from being polluted. Now, we do well to understand this phrase contextually to be more about not allowing what we do to be polluted or corrupted by the world. And you see this as he continues on into chapter two. He helps by giving us context as to what is to be understood by this instruction. For traveling into chapter two, he talks about things like showing favoritism, discriminating and casting judgment, being polluted by. And as difficult as it may be, we are to refrain from allowing ourselves to be polluted by the world. The King James Version uses the word unspotted in place of the word polluted. And it is the same Greek word that Peter would use when he wrote this, and it's in your notes. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found, and here's the word, spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Listen, it's a known fact. No one has a perfect track record. 
Many are the slips and falls of the saints. As the scripture says, though a righteous man falls seven times, but in Christ Jesus being washed in his blood and clothed with his righteousness, we are so. Church, this is, this is so good. We will be found so by him when he comes again when he will present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And also before the presence of his father's glory as faultless with exceeding joy, we will be fit to be the inhabitants of this new heavens and this new earth and shall reign with him and be with him for all eternity. Spotless. And he would conclude by saying the world, by the world. The, the world is a common biblical way of referring to the ungodly worldview and, and lifestyle. The, the type that is in agreement with, with such beliefs and way of life. But Christians, Christians who have broken all agreement with ungodliness must constantly work to distance themselves from the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And we are to keep ourselves from the world's contaminating influence. And this must be a constant endeavor for the people of God. Jesus would pray this in John chapter 17. He would pray, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. In 1 John chapter 2, it's in your notes, he would write to us, he would say, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I know it's not incredibly popular, but the message translation says, Love for the world squeezes out love for the Father. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Church, I urge you. I urge you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly righteously and godly. And my prayer is that God, by his grace, keep both our hearts and our lives clean from love of the world and from temptations of wickedness. Let me pray for you. Father, you... Let me say this, Jesus, you prayed so well when you prayed for us. 
that we are not to be taken out of this world, but that you would protect us from the evil one. God, I ask that you would protect us by the power of your name, that no weapon formed against us would prosper, and that every tongue that would rise up in judgment against us would be condemned. But God, I ask that you would lead us and guide us for your name's sake. Father, I ask that you would help us to not be polluted by this world. Father, I ask that you would help give us the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to resist temptation, to deny all ungodliness, to deny lust, to deny evil. Father, I pray that your people would live out your will, that your kingdom would truly come and that your will would be done in our lives, through our lives for the advancement of your kingdom. Help us to be your hands, help us to be your feet, help us to be your mouthpiece, I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.